Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, first I'll be having a conversation with my occasional guest, Nick, regarding this week's finale of Better Call Saul. And I have some more things to say about it. I still had my issues, my slight disappointment that I registered in the instant reaction from earlier this week. And I go into that in a little more detail, although still positive on the episode overall. And do check out that episode review and breakdown with Sona from earlier in the week, if you haven't already. Then we continue this musical daisy chain that Ian and I have been building, following up on our conversation with my segment where I draw parallels between Bruce Springsteen and David Bowie's careers. This is a longer segment than I normally try to put in for music here. We try to keep it in the 10 to 15 minute range. This one goes long, but these are two long careers with lots of intersections over a very long period of time. So it's longer. So do indulge me. I did think it came out very well. And then we're back with Nick and Ray as well, talking about the new Marvel show, She-Hulk, which I was surprised to find I thought was very entertaining and also surprised that I also bristled at the fact that they make some interesting choices to kind of accelerate her abilities. And we talk about that in great detail. And of course, whenever I have Ray and Nick on, they have to talk about Star Wars. So they do digress into bashing the most recent Star Wars trilogy. But that's all the way at the end of the episode. So if you do decide to hang around to hear it, you can enjoy it at the end. It's actually kind of funny. So I did enjoy it. So I did decide to keep it in the episode. But before then, we do talk about She-Hulk and also the direction of the MCU with the many, many projects that were announced recently. Their next cycle of films very ambitious, which culminate with two Avengers films in 2025. So stay tuned for all of that. Do check the show notes for timestamps if you do want to hop around. We do, as a warning, spoil the most recent trilogy of the Star Wars films. And of course, we spoil this one episode of She-Hulk. We do assume you have watched it. And of course, spoilers for the season and series finale of Better Call Saul. If you haven't watched that yet, don't listen to our conversation. And just a few show notes, we will be getting coverage of the new Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, and that episode should be out on Monday. Sona and I will be discussing this entire season of Only Murders in the Building, and that episode will be out later next week, along with this conversation with my sister, where we're probably going to, I think, be talking about the rehearsal from HBO, the Nathan Fielder show, which just wrapped up. Tonight, I'm actually recording this on Friday night. Have not watched it yet, but it has been interesting. And I just wanted to talk to Nathan Fielder in general. And I have just introduced Nathan Fielder to my sister via Nathan for you. And of course, this rehearsal show. And it's wrapping up, as I mentioned, this weekend. So we will probably be discussing that as well next week. So subscribe so you know when all that becomes available. And as I've mentioned before, if you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcasting platform you happen to be using. You can also email us, needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. We do enjoy hearing your feedback. And of course, most importantly, recommend us to anyone who you think might appreciate the conversation or dig into our catalog and look at other conversations in the past that might be interesting to you, maybe shows you've been catching up on, or maybe just recommendations you're looking for. You can always check our back catalog. I always have recommendations along with the main reviews. Let's get into the conversations. All right. So, Nick, we got you back on, and I know you've been watching Better Call Saul. The whole thing wrapped up this week. The last episode, actually, uh, Vince Gilligan wrote and directed last week's episode, 
which I liked very much. This current episode, this was written by, uh, written and directed by Peter Gould, the showrunner, yep. and uh, the main writer for Saul back in the Breaking Bad days. So this is kind of more of his baby than uh, Vince's. I mean, obviously they have a writer's room, so they had sketched this all out, but then they get to write those individual episodes themselves. And this was the big wrap up of the show. And had you liked the episode in and of itself, but also as a wrap up for this whole entire show, what'd you think? Uh, like the episode and thought that the show wrapped up well. I mean, you were kind of hoping that he'd be able to get away, uh, but he had to answer for, you know, what he had done, not only in Better Call Saul, but also in Breaking Bad. And, you know, it was the right ending because most of the characters that had broke bad or were bad because he was always slipping Jimmy. Mm -hmm. uh, they never saw any jail time. You know, they either got killed. I was hoping he wouldn't get killed. So yeah. I was happy about that. And in Kim's eyes, he he atoned for what he had done, I guess, as best as he could. Right. And I thought it was a, I thought it was a nice way to wrap it up. I think it was the I guess the happiest ending you could get, given the circumstances. <laughs> For, for for him, but it almost seemed like the trigger for him because he was going to get away with the seven years, which right. I thought was great. Like that was a yeah. really cool twist. That's when he's in full saw mode. Full saw mode. But I think the trigger for him was when he found out that Kim had already confessed to everything that yep. had happened to Howard. That sort of triggered him to not necessarily come to his senses, but sort of to come back to the Jimmy persona and yep. and leave Saul behind and. Uh, you know, from that point forward, his whole his whole goal was just to get Kim into the courtroom, and then for her to witness him to um, repent, I guess, so to speak. And and uh, I, you know, I liked it. I liked how it wrapped up. I mean, you know, I don't think it was the strongest episode of the yeah. season, certainly, but it was a nice way to wrap it up. That you know, it, it wasn't you weren't going to see this character and this storyline go down in a blaze of glory right. like Breaking Bad did. For all intents and purposes, really, that was when. Uh, you know, that was the episode where Gus ended up killing Wallow. That was, you know, that right. was that was that. And then the rest of it really was the drama and how the Jimmy and Kim Wexler storyline was going to resolve. Yeah, I agree with all that. I think that this isn't that kind of show to have this big slam bang ending. And we kind of got that earlier on. Like you said, Lalo was that kind of big boogeyman that needed to be defeated. And we got that episode. And for me, actually, my favorite episode of the entire season and maybe of the entire show was the episode after that, when we saw them all kind of dealing with the fallout from Lalo's um, death and, and yeah. what happened to Howard. And that was, for me, the most emotionally satisfying episode of the whole entire season. And like I said, maybe of the whole entire show. And I do think this show is like an appropriate ending for it. It's And to your point, by the way, this episode was called Saul Gone. Yeah. So another pun. So, you know, theoretically, this is the end of Saul and that his persona anyway. But I felt a little unsatisfied with it and I couldn't really put my finger on it. And then my wife watched it the following day and we had like a conversation in the morning. And I think the reason I felt a little unsatisfied with it, and maybe this is the intention is that I felt like the show was unresolved in the fact that, you know, he's making his penance. He's obviously taking this much worse jail time. He's proving himself to Kim. All those things all make sense to me on paper. But then I think about, you know, he was in exile in Nebraska. And after a year, he was back putting on the Saul suit. And uh, I just picture, you know, like he's in this prison for supposedly 86 years. Like it's a life sentence. I don't know, like two years from now, I think he's going to be working a lot of angles. He's going to be a celebrity inside <laughs> the prison. And he could be like, you know, finagling away to uh, impersonate a prison guard or something and sneaking out in the middle of the night to reunite with Kim. And maybe that's the intention that for us to believe like 
you know, Saul is gone for now, but we'll, you know, maybe that's intentional. But for me, it felt a little unfinished. Uh, it just didn't feel like it closed the book uh, fully. I don't know how else you could have, you could have really wrapped it up. I mean, you know, other than having, having the character killed, which was my concern when I right. saw the title of the show, I was yeah. like, oh no, yeah. please tell me that, you know, he doesn't die because, you know, one of the things was he was really, he was a sympathetic character, even right. though for all of his fallacies, a lot of what he did in the early seasons was really the result of him trying to get in, get respect from Chuck. And you really did feel bad for him. And he was a sympathetic character in that regard because really all he wanted to do was get the approval of his brother, at least initially. Right. And yes. then, you know, Howard offered him the job. But, but at that point, he was like, you know, he wasn't having it. You know, he had already gone down that path towards Saul. He really was sympathetic in certain respects and you you really did see glimpses of that e even in the later seasons where yeah. it really was kim sort of pushing the, the yeah. howard angle uh, you know trying to, to to set up the long con on howard and jimmy was like you know are you sure you really want to do this and even when he was in full saw mode which yeah. we really only saw in this show bits and pieces of it which was really smart on the on the part of vince gilligan because we, we knew who he was from Breaking right. Bad. So mm -hmm. you didn't need to rehash that. I mean, you know, there were some funny scenes, certainly after the time jump. But if you recall in Breaking Bad, even even during Breaking Bad, there was always glimpses of Jimmy with him, yeah. within yeah. him in Breaking Bad. Uh, when Walter and Jesse were doing certain things, you know, he was always like, are you sure you want to do this? And right. there, there were certain uh, sympathetic aspects to the Saul character that you, you could tell that, you know, Jimmy was still in there. I mean, I could see how it, it, it's unsatisfying. I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that, actually, because you're thinking about it also like El Camino, right? Yes. Uh, when Jesse goes off to Alaska, you yep. felt a little unsatisfied right. there yep. because yep. it's like, well, yep. what happens to Jesse now? Yep. You know, exactly. he's off in Alaska. You don't, you know, he's not going to break bad again, but it's kind of like you wish you had seen a little bit more of it. And so, you know, it would have been nicer to see a little bit more of the Gene timeline uh, yep. because that did seem a little bit rushed that he jumped right back into the all persona yep. i mean I, I thought i actually thought that he was going to get caught and i think everybody kind of assumed he was going to get caught but i i thought kim was going to just show up as his as his public defender um which i guess wouldn't have been as dramatic uh yep. it was kind of it was it was very upsetting seeing kim in florida though living yep. that mundane yes, life that yes, was like yep, oh my yep. god that was mm -hmm. that was like a fate worse than death for her <laughs> right you know well uh, i mean that's kind of what happened to gene too right so i think it's yeah kind of a parallel there but uh, I, I kind of thought that, you know, that was that was an angle that was possibly happening. And then you and I had been texting and I said, you know, it just it seems weird that she had confessed. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was like, is this a long con? Is this, you know, something that they sort of arranged? And right. when he called her, that sort of triggered her to do that. And are they setting something up? But it, but it ultimately wasn't. It really was face value. She really did confess. And yeah. I thought, you know, there's got to be one last crazy twist to this. So in that regard, I, I could sort of see where you're coming from, that there wasn't that last big twist that maybe we thought might happen in that they were still in cahoots in some some way shape or form but you know there were a lot of emotional leading up to it i mean a lot of emotional scenes where, where when she went to his office when he was in full salmo to sign the divorce papers i mean that was yes that was really harsh when he yes. was like you know have, have yeah. a good wife it was yeah. it was horrible you yeah. know but one, one funny thing about that is you realize that kim really was kind of like what set walter off into the heisenberg mode because she was standing with jesse and, and jesse was like he's is right. he any good and she's mm -hmm. like when i knew him he was yeah and that prompted jesse to end up you know hiring him and then 
without Saul, Walter White never really becomes Heisenberg. So it's like Kim really sort of set a lot of this in motion without realizing it, right? Without realizing it, which is pretty funny. Yeah. A couple of things I wanted to circle back on what you were saying. And I want to be clear that, by the way, I still think the show is exceptional. And like I said, just to have an episode like that episode, I mean, the episode where Lalo dies is an incredible episode. But then once again, the episode after it, which I just think is one of the greatest episodes of television you'll see ever, you know, obviously the show's worth it just for that. But, you know, just the the things that bothered me a little bit in this finale, one is you know, you literally have this set up. This is a time machine, right? That's the whole point of this episode is we're time traveling. And, you know, that's the theme of the whole episode. And then we go back to these very specific moments where his life could have gone in a different direction. But I don't see those moments where he travels back in time that he is coming to any kind of realization. Like if anything, he's 100% in denial of reality in all of those instances. And I also think about, which also feels kind of unresolved, the fact that think about his situation with Gene in the previous episode, he allows himself to get arrested because he like yeah. can't let that guy go. So there is inside of him, the pragmatic, smart survivor Saul who will do anything to survive the smart thing for him to do is just walk away right yeah and he is sabotaging himself he not only gets away with it then he goes as soon as he breaks the window this is not going to plan anymore and then he kind of gets away with it the guy would know that someone broke into his house could be suspicious about the night before but he's going to be very hard to connect the dots and then he goes back and he starts drinking the cognac and yada 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 I mean like he desperately wants to get caught and then when he's about to get caught, he desperately, you know, almost like strangles Carol Burnett. Yeah, to yeah. Keep him. So there's these two parts of him that are constantly battling. And I don't see in the end how all of a sudden and now that duality is resolved. Like, I just don't feel they did enough to convince me of that, basically. I, that's why I kind of thought it was like some sort of long con, because he's acting very unsaw like here when he broke into the house. And then he's just basically, you know tempting fate to get caught right and exactly that sort of didn't make any sense to me so it's a good point that you that you that you raised because that's that's what sort of led me to believe like is this like some kind of long con you know right. that he wants to get caught now to somehow reconnect with kim and right. which but it wasn't. Of, which kind of is what ends up happening but it doesn't seem like that was the original which plan, plan right yeah exactly that wasn't the plan you know it was almost like a self-destructive behavior it was just that 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 i agree with i kind of didn't understand that it definitely went against, you know, everything we knew about the character and 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 his his capacity for self preservation. You raise a good point again because you know during the whole course of the show, even you know you thought like maybe he would even way back in the beginning, you know, repent when Marco died. Yep. Remember, and you're like, all right, maybe you know he'll set himself. We knew he wouldn't because of, of the events of Breaking Bad. But if you think about everything that happened to him, you know, like with, with Chuck committing suicide yep. and, yep. you know, Howard's death and Marco dying and, you know, even, you know, his situation with Lalo and walking through the desert with Mike and nothing really ever brought him around until he realized that Kim, at first I was like, well, maybe he did it because he didn't want Kim to suffer the consequences, but nothing that he did, none of his confession really Would impacts exonerate what, her. What yeah, will happen exactly. to, yeah, nothing, nothing's going to exonerate her. I mean, she's still very much susceptible to civil litigation from Howard's widow. So, uh, you know, that wasn't even really it. So it's almost like, you know, what prompted, what prompted, I think it was just something in him finally sort of triggered to get back in her good graces. And that was the one thing that set him straight was the fact that he 
would regain the respect of Ken. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, when I was talking to my wife about it, uh, we were specifically talking about the fact that, first of all, when he walks in, he's got his Saul suit yep. on, right? He's fully Saul again. And he walks in and he's about to do that whole thing, interrupt the judge and everything. And when he sits down under his breath, he says, it's showtime. Yep. And then after he does that whole entire confession, he turns around and looks at Kim and Kim gives him like this half smile. And it's like all yeah. this was for that. But it did cost him the rest of his life in prison. So, yeah. that's, you know, that's a big uh, price to pay for for that. So exactly. Exactly. You can see that it's like, you know, of all things like, OK, finally switched. But it was like the last 20 minutes of the entire series. But listen, I mean, it was it's a phenomenal show. Yep. I put it right up there with Breaking Bad. Um, I actually now I want to go back and, and, and watch all of Breaking Bad again. Yeah, I am going to do that. Actually, I've never done the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go back and watch the whole thing. And then I want to go back and watch better call Saul again but yeah i have so many other shows I gotta watch <laughs> there's so many more things to watch yeah. so many things i want to watch that it's like i don't know if i can go back and and sit through it all but um great scene also with walter in uh in the in the oh, bunker yes. mm -hmm. uh yep. with the dis you know the disappearers bunker mm -hmm. that was great and that was that was like vintage walter white yeah you know, when he was yep. like disgusted with Saul. like yeah what are you talking about time travel is not possible <laughs> like it's just so walter you know at the height you know, well, not the height, but like the downfall of Heisenberg. But uh, that was great. That was a great scene. Yeah. Great to see him back in that mode again as well. Yeah. And then the uh, interesting thing, too, the flashback with uh, Chuck, that actually took place before the pilot of, of Better Call Saul, because in the pilot of Better Call Saul, when he delivers the groceries to Chuck, he has the financial times. And in this episode, that flashback, he said, they don't carry the financial times yet at the newsstand, but hopefully tomorrow they will. Wow. So from a timing sequence, that scene actually took place theoretically the day before the events of the pilot episode. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. We discussed all the way at the beginning when we were discussing Saul in the first half of this season. We're obviously open to changing your opinion in the future, especially after a revisit. Yeah. But your gut instinct now, just given the totality of the show, would you put this ahead of Breaking Battle or no? Um. No, I Neither. I would say though it's I would say it's close, but it's yeah. Breaking Bad is still ahead of it. But I, I'd certainly put it way up there. I mean, in, in my opinion, it's in it's probably in my top five dramas of all time. I would I would put it maybe behind. I would say maybe Breaking Bad, The Wire, and Better Call Saul are, are yeah. my top three. Granted, I've this is like almost blasphemy because I live in New Jersey and so do you. But <laughs> I've actually never seen The Sopranos, so you've I never seen The Sopranos. Uh, oh wow, wow. never seen The Sopranos. Wow. I know, I know. That's like that's certainly up there. But for me personally, I would say the you know Breaking Bad, The Wire, and Better Call Saul are the top three. But I'd have to say Breaking Bad still is ahead of Better Call Saul. You know, and I think part yeah. of it too is because it's, you know, it's it's recency bias, you know, so we're, sure. we're watching Better Call Saul, we're like, this is better than Breaking Bad. But it's uh, it's it's a different show. I mean, even though it takes place in the same universe, you know, it's it's much more of a drama. It's much more, you've got the Breaking Bad aspect of it uh, with with Mike and, and Lalo and Gus and all that. Um, but that wrapped up in the first half, you know, and so it was kind of like, it's a combination Breaking Bad and then drama. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Breaking Bad uh, is, in my opinion, you know, one of the a show that's almost infallible in terms of uh, there's really no episodes that that's that stunk. Um, maybe The Fly, but that's <laughs> I, I like The Fly episode, by the way, uh, although that was, uh, you know, just a budget saving on that. Exactly. Case. Exactly. But, uh, a bottle episode. Exactly. Intentionally, they're like, you know, we have very little money left and we yep. need well, another episode. For that was it, like right? in the days. Yeah. Like in a, the early the earlier days of AMC. When AMC also like with The Walking Dead, like in the second season when everything took place on Herschel's farm, <laughs> yes, you know, yeah. it's like 
oh my god this is like you know horrendous because they didn't have money to 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 spend on the episodes so that's a, that's a total digression and we'll probably have to my, switch over to the the she-hulk conversation now that ray's with us but the uh the walking dead but every single year they were always battling them for budget and yeah. they were spending a huge amount of money on Mad Men, for example and i'm like Mad Men, which i think is a great show by the way but it's like they could get any budget they wanted and they were fighting with the uh, walking dead every year about their budget i'm like the walking dead <laughs> like a hundred million people are watching the show you guys are making money hand over fist and you're you're nickel diming them like firing showrunners every year it's like it was ridiculous how they treated that show it's incredible yeah and that's not a good show, by the way. It's not a good show after season one. But season still, one was the only good season. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I still, I actually thought that like Walking Dead was like a dream taking place in Rick's mind. Like I thought <laughs> right. he was in a yeah. coma, but then obviously it's not because he's not on the show anymore. But uh, was it Frank Darabont? Didn't he? Uh, is it Dar? Yes. Dar- yep. He fired. He him, quit right? it. He yeah, he quit yeah. because he's like, you guys aren't giving me any money. Right. That second season was so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so like yeah. it was the same episode. They're like, it's the biggest season we've had. It's the biggest show we've ever had by a mile. They're like, uh, let's just stick them on the farm for the whole show. It's like, yeah, yeah, it was, basi- a lot, it was basically an, an entire season of bottle episodes. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. So here's that music segment I mentioned at the top of the episode. And we're just going to change gears a little bit and talk about two truly iconic artists before getting back into the conversation with Nick and now Ray joining the conversation as well. In last week's musical segment, Ian added this song, Girl Loves Me, by David Bowie, from his final album, Black Star, and challenged me to correlate it to my most recent entry, State Trooper, from Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska album. And I'm not sure I made a connection here, or the correct connection, but the pleasure of this exercise is to do some research and find these parallels between these artists. This song, Girl Loves Me, influenced by contemporary rappers such as Future, Features lyrics directly referencing Clockwork Orange, Anthony Burgess's classic dystopian post-apocalyptic, perhaps, novel, which was, of course, made into a movie as well. Very successful film by Stanley Kubrick in 1971. But that didn't seem to be a connection between these artists, but they do have interesting parallel biographies. David Bowie, born David Jones, formed a band back in 1962 when he was just 15 years old. And he always took it very seriously. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to make an impact on the world and always found that the artists he was working with, these bands that he formed, no one else was really taking things as seriously as he was. And then in 1963, he saw the Beatles and he aggressively began trying to jump on this new revival of music in the UK to become a worldwide star. This led him to much experimentation and a lot of really, really bad novelty songs throughout the 60s. He was able to keep getting record contracts because after the Beatles, everybody was looking for the next big thing and no one really knew what it might be. So they were willing to give him a chance, but nothing really hit. Meanwhile, Beatlemania didn't hit the United States until 1964, where 15-year-old Bruce Springsteen watched them perform on the Ed Sullivan Show and immediately decided to go out and buy himself a guitar and teach himself how to play it. And throughout the mid to late 60s, he played with many New Jersey rock and roll acts down in the Asbury Park burgeoning musical scene as well as playing in new york city and all the energy that was coming from the pre-punk movement that was beginning there where bands like suicide and the ramones were playing weekly at dive bars and little by little creating a new musical genre meanwhile while springsteen was mingling with 
this burgeoning rock and roll revival that was happening in New York, David Bowie had come to the United States to investigate this new art scene in New York City led by Andy Warhol. And he saw the Velvet Underground perform, as well as an elaborate presentation directed and orchestrated by Andy Warhol himself. And this theatrical blend of music and image became the template for most of Bowie's remaining career. He immediately began to work on music that would lead him to international stardom, beginning in 1969 with another arguably novelty track meant to capitalize on the Apollo moon launch. This became a number one hit song in England and a huge hit on album-oriented rock stations in the US and still maybe Bowie's most recognizable track. Most British critics who had been following his career thought this would be a one-hit wonder and he was soon to exit stage right. But that was not to be the case. And after failing with his next album, The Man Who Sold the World, who nonetheless contained some of his later iconic tracks, he hit pay dirt first with the album Hunky Dory, which made relatively few ripples in the UK, but eventually would go on to sell millions of copies, piggybacking on the phenomena that was to be his most iconic theatrical persona, Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy played for time, jiving us that we were voodoo. The kids were just crash. And at this moment, he was channeling the art rock of the Velvet Underground and the raw punk energy that he had seen in the Ramones and Iggy Pop. At the same time, Springsteen had been signed to a record deal, and in 1973, the culmination of that year and a half of recording led to him releasing two albums, Greetings from Asbury Park, and The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle. David Bowie had heard these albums, despite the fact that they did not gain any kind of mainstream success. And he actually decided that he'd like to cover a, a couple of tracks from the album. And let's hear Bruce tell the story himself. David, uh, I don't know if people know it, but he supported our music way, way, way back in the very, very beginning, uh, 1973. He uh, rang me up and I visited him down in Philly while he was making the Young Americans record. And. Uh, he covered some of my music, Hard to Be a Saint City, and growing up, and he was a big supporter of ours, particularly when uh, I took the Greyhound bus down to Philadelphia. That's how early it was. <laughs> but uh, anyway, we're thinking of him. Springsteen continued to build a critical reputation for his live performances, as well as the albums themselves, and he spent well over a year recording his next album. Bowie, meanwhile, was very busy, churning out oftentimes at least two records a year. And in 1975, Bowie finally released the album for which he was planning to record and release the Springsteen cover. Could walk like Brando. 
a cover that he did not include until a special edition years later for the fact that Springsteen himself did not seem to appreciate the overly theatrical interpretation of the song. And in 1975, Born to Run, Springsteen's iconic, or first iconic, album was released, rocketing to number three on the charts. The song Born to Run only made it to 23 on the pop charts, 10th Avenue Freeze Out only to 83, but many tracks on this album, including Thunder Road as well, became perennial hits on album-oriented rock. And Springsteen embarked on a world tour on the success of this album in the United States, and amazingly appeared on Time Magazine and Newsweek magazine simultaneously on their cover. The first time anyone's ever done that. Which was to say that he had achieved this kind of critical consensus that he was the next big thing in rock and roll. He was here to save rock and roll, ironically in the midst of the emergence of punk rock. Although Bowie's covers from that first album, Greetings from Asbury Park, were never actually released, not for many years actually. Blinded by the Light by Manford Mann was released as a single and went all the way to number one. And as I mentioned last week, Springsteen also had penned huge hits for Patti Smith and the Pointer Sisters. Meanwhile, 75 was a watershed year for Bowie as well, especially in the United States, as he had his first top 10 hits. Fame went all the way to number one from Young Americans. And Station to Station, two albums in the same year, yielded Golden Years, a top 10 hit as well. Bowie then made a trilogy of albums, Low, Heroes, and Lodger, in Berlin, considered the Berlin Trilogy, produced by Brian Eno from Roxy Music, who would go on to become an iconic producer for U2 and other bands throughout the 80s, as well as, in many ways, creating ambient music, and heavily influenced by the minimalist electronic music of Kraftwerk. and indirectly New York City's suicide as well. This trilogy of albums is maybe the high point for Bowie's creativity and his most influential music, influencing the multicultural post-punk music of the Talking Heads and other new wave bands, and simultaneously a cornerstone to the electronic music and goth music that would be popularized throughout England in the late 70s and throughout the 80s, influencing bands like New Order, Bauhaus, The Cure, and Depeche Mode, just to name a few. But at this moment, Bowie felt like he had been left out of the popular movement of the British musical scene, where Bowie fans, and Bowie himself being critical of artists like Gary Newman, 
who had had huge chart success in the UK, imitating Bowie in Bowie's own estimation. So with these influential albums that nonetheless yield iconic tracks that are still hold up as some of his best today, even popularly, but did not score hits at the time. he decided to move into an aggressively more pop-oriented direction. His goal was to recapture the worldwide audience that had embraced him on his Ziggy Stardust. And he went back into the studio to record Scary Monsters and Super Creeps. This recording session led to the number one UK hit, Ashes to Ashes, a sequel to his first number one, Space Oddity, along with the top five hit, Fashion, his ironic fashion slash fascist hit both rock radio hits in the united states but did not make the pop charts but interestingly during this recording session someone else was in the same recording studio trying to score their first crossover pop hit. The session musician who played the piano for this album was Roy Bitten, who in the same studio at the exact same time was recording with Bruce Springsteen for his album, The River. So that means that this distorted piano line in Ashes to Ashes. Ashes to ash and fun to fun, yeah. We know major talks strung out in heaven's was played by the same person who played this iconic piano line in Hungry Heart. As I've mentioned previously, following up on the international pop success of Hungry Heart, Springsteen actually decided to move into a less popular direction and created the hugely influential stripped-down bedroom folk album, Nebraska, but brewing in those recording sessions was the beginnings of an international phenomenon. Speaking of which, Bowie had scored his first number one in the UK in quite a few years, but was still dead set on taking over the international music charts and focus mostly on the United States where he continued to struggle to score a top 10 hit. But he was about to have a string of huge hits all over the world, beginning with his collaboration with Queen. And then, in 1983, culminating with Let's Dance. A song that swept the world 
the album eventually going on to sell some 13 million albums and continuing to spin out hit singles. His string of top tens ended in 1985, and of course, not to be outdone, Springsteen would release the even more hugely influential and popular Born in the USA. An album that would spin out seven top ten hits, an unmatched success throughout 84 and 85. Of course, neither of these artists would ever achieve this kind of success again, and their careers would slowly peter out popularly. Bowie continued to chase popular trends to lesser and lesser commercial success throughout the 80s, and then really had a relatively quiet 90s. Springsteen intentionally moved away from his more popular sound, but still for a period of time scored top 10 hits and also had relatively quiet 90s. Both artists re-emerged in the 2000s, Springsteen coming back after the September 11th attacks with his very successful Rising album and became a huge touring phenomena throughout the rest of his career, which continues to this day, while Bowie became an elder statesman to art rockers of the post-grunge era from Nine Inch Nails to Arcade Fire to LCD Sound System. And that leads us to January of 2016, where Bowie shockingly passed away and the posthumous release of the album immediately on the heels of that announcement, led his album to be a huge success around the world. And of course leads to the Springsteen cover that I played last week, in memorial to Bowie's passing. Just one week after Bowie's death, Dale Griffin from Mott the Hoople, for which Bowie had written their biggest hit, died from Alzheimer's disease. Just two months after that, one of the Beatles' most influential collaborators, George Martin, died of natural causes at the age of 90. And just one month after that, another hugely influential gender-bending artist of the 80s, Prince, died of a fentanyl overdose. Alan Vega, the lead singer 
of suicide and a big influence on both Bowie and Springsteen would die in New York City that summer. And this is just some of the notable deaths in this period of time, which included the death of George Michael by the end of this same year, 2016. So that's just a little history of this paralleling career, these two artists who achieved international phenomenon status in almost the exact same period of time, within about a year of each other, who had a mutual appreciation, although they worked in very different genres, who became hugely influential to other artists in the future. I mean, they've both been covered by the Arcade Fire, for example, just to name one. And both artists that embrace the theatricality of rock and roll, embracing the storytelling potential of rock and roll, especially in the early years. So to circle all the way back, <laughs> my connection here is that cover, that meetup in 1973 between Bowie and Springsteen, and the failed cover experiment that Bowie had. But I have a feeling that I missed the connection here. I think I was led by Ian, a clue about a video game. I am not a video gamer, so I do not know what this connection might be, and my research did not turn up anything. But I'm sure he will be able to shed some light on my speculation this week. As far as my new addition to this musical daisy chain, I'm going to de-escalate, hopefully, <laughs> these perhaps overly convoluted connections between these artists and go with something that's relatively straightforward. If you're familiar with these two artists, you probably know this connection already. But the track I have selected is Original Sin by In Excess. In Excess had a resurgence in attention this year due to the use of the album Kick in a very memorable episode of Euphoria, season two. But I'm going back to one of their earlier albums for a very specific reason. Dream on white boy, white boy. Dream on black girl, black girl. Wake up to a brand new day. To find your dreams that washed away. So, can you figure it out? Are you an InXS fan? Are you a Bowie fan? Do you know the connection? Drop me an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com if you'd like to play along, and we'll get Ian's response next week. There was a time when I did not care. More and more eccentric superhumans are coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> we are going to launch a division for them. And I want the She-Hulk to be the face of it. Jennifer Waters. Namaste. I have a serious conflict of interest. This man tried to kill my cousin, Bruce. Yeah, that's quite all right. Oh. People only care because I'm representing Emil Blonsky. I think they care because they're like, hey, that girl's green. Jen, do your thing. Okay, so next topic. We got Ray bringing Ray into the conversation. I got two things I want to talk about. One is a conversation about uh, She-Hulk, which I have many things to say, uh, surprisingly, because I did not think I'd have anything to say about the show, but I have many things to say about it. Some are positive, some are very negative. <laughs> and uh, oh, and the other thing I wanted to run by you guys is, you know, that big announcement uh, a couple of weeks ago of the new, uh, all the MCU, the entire MCU slate. So I definitely wanted to get, especially Ray's feel for the shape of this thing to come. We've been complaining about phase four. Turns out phase four is nothing but introducing new characters, which is basically all we've been getting. And then, you know, phase five has a very pretty rigid structure, which I think the fans will be more happy about. But given the titles and the characters they're introducing, just to see if Ray has any speculation on what direction the MCU is going in. But before that, 
we can jump in and talk about this first episode, only one episode's available of She-Hulk so far. And I have pretty brief review here. I thought the comedy worked really well. I like the performer. I thought she was really good. Uh, I know her from Orphan Black. She's a you know already an Emmy winning, I believe, uh, actress. So she's definitely high quality. And uh, loved seeing Mark Ruffalo having a lot of fun in this role. I love him talking about what him and Tony Stark were doing during the blip. All that stuff is great. Those are my positives. That's basically what I felt. And I think that at this moment, I would watch more of this show, but I can imagine in a few episodes not wanting to watch any more of this. But it really depends on what happens in the next couple of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it was a fun ride. It was um, entertaining. It was definitely entertaining. I think it it captured the comics of She-Hulk. I mean, mm-hmm. it, She-Hulk was always sort of a different little variety. It wasn't quite as serious as some of the other comics. I mean, I'll admit I, I didn't read a lot of it. I mean, I, I think she came around the time of the Secret War. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. There there was a lot of things that went on in the comic that actually happened even during the uh, the actual presentation have a, a little bit of breaking that uh, that fourth uh, door when they both look at the audience. Yeah. That was in the comics. They used to yeah. do that in the comics sometimes. So that was classic She-Hulk, actually. So, I've heard I've heard it described as a PG-13 Deadpool. So, yes. you know, kind of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah, for at the time. And, and the comics would do that, like sort of let you in on, you know, the secret behind the wall kind. And they did that at one point. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, Sydney, my daughter was watching. She goes, what are they doing right now? They're, they're staring at us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're giving us a wink, basically. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, it's they had that villain, uh, Titania, at the end there. That was uh, that was interesting because mm-hmm. she's like one of kind of like an anti-hero. She's not really a villain, kind of one of those, uh, you know, alternate Avengers kind of characters. But she definitely is She-Hulk's rival in the comics. So I guess we'll be seeing more of her as the... Uh, series comes on but uh yeah, it's sort true. of random she just shows up in that courtroom like yeah that was, but uh yeah i i thought uh i thought they kept the spirit of she hulk and uh it was definitely entertaining it was very light yep and uh you know, the downside i'd say is you know everyone keeps talking about this uh it's it's another situation where she masters you know nick said it too masters being a hulk in yep. one episode and just mm-hmm. being on a mexico uh resort retreat of bruce banners but Actually, the, the comic was kind of like that, too. Right. I, I don't remember her, like, losing anger issues. And right. she always was a, just because of her physiology. That's how they explained it away. Right. She was able to handle being the Hulk different than Bruce did, you know. Right. So, I don't know. It, it, it was an interesting twist. I mean, uh, I think the original comic, um, I think it was an actual blood transfusion yeah. that she got from Bruce Branner that uh, – turned her in and not just that incidental contact with the blood and the open wound or whatever. But that was, that was a criticism I have, by the way, of just that, how that works <laughs> is that if that, if it's that simple and he seems to be aware that the risk is there, I mean, someone would have weaponized him a long time ago. You could make an army yeah. of halts if they wanted to. You could have some of the Chitari could have turned into Hulk during the first <laughs> yeah. Avengers probably. Right. I mean, come on. You know, how many times is the spill some blood there, you know? But I guess again, he doesn't bleed when he's the Hulk, so it's just because yeah. he was suppressed, right? But yeah. still, it should yeah. be doable, right? Yeah, yeah, or even on Sakaar. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I actually enjoyed it. I, I just went along for the ride. I mean, some of the visual effects were a little odd. Yeah, a little dodgy, but I forgive it because the show is not that serious, so I'm okay with it. So, Yeah. 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 What do you think, Nick? <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. Uh, you guys uh, summarized it pretty 
pretty succinctly. I agree. I, I really did like the uh, the explanation of of uh, Bruce being with Tony during the blip. <laughs> yeah, I and that, uh, that I thought that was really cool. And he seemed a little melancholy about you know Tony not being around anymore. Um, I like that. And just being drunk but, the whole time when he had to build the it, <laughs> exactly uh, place all by himself. Exactly. And the, I thought the comedy worked well. Yeah. Uh, it was light. It was enjoyable. I actually, I, I did very much like it. I have, I have my own negatives. But we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I did, I did enjoy it very much. Um, and I think I mentioned to you guys that of all the shows, I will say, and this might just be because you know we're dealing with a, a, an original Avenger from phase, you know, phases one through three or whatever. But I would say that this is my second favorite show behind Loki. Yeah, um, I agree. Just because you know we have a familiar character, mm-hmm. we're exploring more about you know Smart Hulk, and and uh, you know now it remains to be seen how much Mark Ruffalo and the Hulk are going to be right. in this. I would imagine that they will be because of this the Sakarian spacecraft. So there's going to be some something going on there. Yeah, with, they're definitely. Uh, I mean, they paid for him to come in, so I'm pretty certain he's back. I mean, he may not be in every episode, but he's definitely yeah. back multiple times. And I mean, they also have Daredevil coming. They have yeah. ab- abomination coming. Yep. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of other Wong, MCU Wong, in there. Gonna yeah. Be, yeah. So <laughs> I like I like the I like the linkage to uh, yeah. you know to the to the again you know throwback to the first three phases. So that was cool. But I think like both of you said, it was just it was an enjoyable show. Yeah. I liked watching it. I'm looking forward to watching it next week. And uh, you know, un- unlike some of the. <laughs> more recent Marvel programs that we've seen that was, <laughs> yeah. it's been more of a slog to, to try to get through them. Like a Moon Knight, uh, call it again. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever need to see that show again. I, 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 I really don't. I got some bad news for you, by the way. And uh, Ray probably knows about this, but in October, I mentioned they have a Halloween special that they've been keeping under wraps, but apparently it's already leaked out. It's uh, Gabriel uh, Gail Bernal is playing man wolf. Is that what it's called? Or, oh, I'm like and, that, uh, yeah. Yeah. And apparently he this is like the horror faction of um, the MCU, which mm-hmm. means that supposedly we're supposed to see by the end of that, he may have like a teaser where he teams up with Moon Knight. So there could oh, be. God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might pass. I might we'll have to stay. pass on that one. I might not be on the I might not be on the podcast for uh, for that for series. That oh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's only two episodes, only two. It's like a two night event or something. So it could be short enough to maybe be worth. You know, and it's not like I'm opposed to the new characters. I have to say, like, uh, I really liked America Chavez in uh, uh, Doctor Strange. I thought that was an she was an awesome character. Miss Marvel, for instance, like, oh, you know, like that was uh, it, it was OK. It was fine at the beginning, but I got kind of sick of it at the end. I ended up just plowing through the last three episodes and, and I was like, eh, you know, like, whatever, take that or leave it. So, you know, some of the some of the new characters are great. I think I'm going to like this She-Hulk character, you know, notwithstanding some of the issues I had with the right. with the show. I think the actress is great and the character so far is a lot of fun. Yes, she's yeah. very uh, likable. You know, yeah. you uh, you like uh, what she's showed so far, and you you care. There's some empathy actually. There's some actual yeah um, soul put into one of these MCU shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm actually happy that you guys have that uh, reaction. Is some of the internet, uh, you know, this toxic internet oh, culture has been like, you know, really, uh, you know, lambasting it for the thing that I will criticize the show for. And I don't have an issue, for example, like when she says, oh, 
Bruce, you're trying to tell me that I have to uh, pretend that I'm not angry all the time. And she's like, you know, as uh, my co-host Sona can tell you, she has many multiple stories on the podcast where she talks about how, you know, as a female lawyer, you have to kind of sit there while, you know, you're being mansplained in, in the courtroom, like uh, you, the things you know better than they do. So, uh, yeah, that's a completely sympathetic perspective that she's saying, hey, I mastered this skill a very long time ago that I can totally buy. The thing that I have a bigger problem with is that physically, hey, I'm just naturally gifted at this. I'm like, fine. Even Michael Jordan wasn't like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, the best basketball player for a few years. And uh, Hulk's been at this for a decade now. So the idea that she could just like a weekend away with Bruce, she's like mastered everything. I'm like, come on. Like that is I'm not even talking about it from being like a uh, even like some kind of like feminist statement or something. I'm just thinking it's like lazy. It's like lazy writing. It's like we oh. want to cut to the chase. So we're yep. just going to give her all the skills day one. It's like, wouldn't yep. that be for me? That's the funny part of the show. Like the fact that she's like, I got this. And maybe I'll be maybe, by the way, the show will prove me wrong that maybe she's like, I got this all under control because that's the type of person she is. And then she does start to accidentally hulk out in the courtroom, because for me, that's the funny part of the show. That's the comedy. So maybe maybe they'll prove me wrong and they'll actually do that. But at this moment, I was kind of like, what? <laughs> Like she can yeah. just do everything day one. What are you talking oh, we, about? Yeah, we have another Mary Sue. We, yeah. we have another Ray here, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, just like the sequels, the Star Wars sequels, all over again. You know, we're doing Jedi mind tricks. We're doing yeah. this before we've been taught on anything. Force healing someone, you know, all that. Yeah, <laughs> this is that. That I, I agree. That's one of the things that concern me, and it has nothing to do with the fact of the feminine side of it. That's yeah. n- has nothing to do with it. But I agree with you both completely. It's. We're starting to get into the realm of, and I don't want to. <laughs> Victor's going to start laughing because you know we're starting to get into the oh, realm no, the now. Star Wars talk the, again. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the sequel trilogy, where all of a sudden the writers are in the room and they're like, "All right, you know, we're in a corner here. All right, I have an idea. Let's like make the Jedi like have some sort of special power that they never had before, right. you know, and create you know create something out of thin air. Like you know, it's a Leia will fly through space, you know." <laughs> yeah. When we were kids, the Jedi were able to control things with their mind and lift stuff. That was it. And and, and use their lightsabers, you know. So we're starting to now see this in the MCU where I don't I don't like that. I think I agree with both of you. I think it's kind of lazy writing. I think I could have gotten around that, but maybe a doing a time jump or something where yes, right. it was something like a year, you know, like one year later or something like that. Right. Yeah. And at least like there's some amount of time that's gone by where she's been able to, you know, sort of hone her Hulk skills. Right. You know, the other thing is like Hulk, Thanos was the only one that defeated him. Right. Right. And now like she's been a Hulk for like a day and she's kicking his ass, you know, it's like, wait a second. Like, are you kidding me? This is, this is Hulk. This is Hulk, man. You know? So, and and again, it has nothing to do with the fact that the character's a woman. It's just, any other you know right you would you would not see if this that. was his teenage i feel like i was thinking about this before it's like if this was like you know some teenage millennial you know bratty cousin of his that he happened to transfuse his blood into and then all of a sudden this kid is like day one kicking his ass at everything i would be like what what are you talking about that's just like you know and i, I feel the same way it's just like and i don't even understand why to even make that decision to be honest with you because like i said the much funnier option is for her to be like, I've done my training, Yoda. I'm going to uh, go off on my own. And uh, and it turns out she's not as good at all this shit that she thought she was. Yeah. And then, you know, she hulks out in the courtroom. She accidentally, you know, hulks out in the middle of a date, which I think is actually going to happen over the course of the show. And if that's the case, then set it up that way. Why even have this whole, like, I'm the master of all these powers? Because if she really is going to be like 
the best Hulk imaginable day one, this is not going to be a very fun show at all. Like the comedy comes from her screwing up, right? Right. Definitely. Definitely. I agree. But we'll see. I mean, yep. we'll see how they, they run with it, you know. I did, I did like the post credit scene. That was great. <laughs> oh, about uh, Captain America? Did he? And they, and they, you know, they set it up in the credits with those those cartoons because yeah. they had the one diagram with Steve Rogers and the mm -hmm. arrows. <laughs> and I'm like, that's it. I don't remember them. Like I said, I don't remember them talking about that. And then sure enough, boom, then it comes up with the post credit scene. I'm like, oh, there you go. So that's what they were talking about. About Steve Rogers being a virgin and all that stuff. <laughs> yes, it's so funny. Yeah. And of course, they cut her off right when the uh, show would probably get up. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yeah. Oh, and by <laughs> the way, you know, they, they did retcon the, the whole Jedi, um, you know, heal force power. They said yeah. they outlawed it like hundreds of years ago because it would tempt them to the dark side. Oh, no, we can't go with the Star Wars, but yeah. we can't go with the yes, Star Wars. I know. That's, yeah. why nobody, <laughs> that's why nobody knew how to do Jedi. Yeah, see, that's <laughs> it's ridiculous it's like they're sitting in a room and they're like all right what do we do like it's like if there was like a 10th movie they'd be like all right now we're gonna let the jedi can turn into water and you know like 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 the one of the wonder twins you know and form like an ice shield or so it was ridiculous so i'm a little bit nervous about that like hopefully they don't they don't you know the mcu doesn't go there interesting thing by the way about steve rogers i read this the character apparently that he lost his virginity to is that woman at the uso show that um yeah. It's the same actress that played Star Wars mom mm -hmm. in oh, yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh -huh. So they're yeah. saying that that was tech. That was actually Peter Quill's grandmother. Oh, huh. okay. All right. So well, theoretically, then Peter Quill's mom may have been sired yeah. by Captain America. So Captain America <laughs> may have actually been Peter could Quill's be grandfather. Could be yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but that's, but that's the, that, you know, that's the rumors that are circulating now all those connections man there's all you gotta have all those connections but that would explain why he was able to hold an infinity stone beyond the fact and and well because i mean he held it because uh his what's it called ego, ego, ego yeah ego was his dad right. but that would explain why though the light was able to stay within him because he had not only ego's power but he also is uh genetically related to captain america yeah who knows That's it's true makes sense he's even more of a super being then, right? yeah <laughs> But, uh, so let, let me transition over to uh, these this uh, massive announcement of my God, like, you know, mind numbingly. <laughs> I think even I might be burning out on all this, this uh, MCU stuff, although it does make me curious. And I especially want to get uh, Nick, your enthusiasm for these projects. But of course, Ray, because you're more familiar with these characters themselves. So we are very close to the end of this phase four. We, we have a, apparently the I Am Groot uh, kids show, which I have not watched any of uh, is part of this phase mm -hmm. four. Have you seen it? Did you say right? Mm -hmm. No. So then we have that Halloween special, which is apparently Man Wolf or whatever that. Or I'm sorry, Werewolf by Night. Werewolf by Night. Yes. And uh, yeah. and apparently there he may turn up in the Blade movie. He may team up with Moon Knight in the future. So that's how it could potentially be used further down if they decide to use him at all. There's so many other characters. Who knows? Well, wasn't Man Wolf a show like when we were kids in the 80s? Yeah, uh, I think I'm confusing. It's, they're, they're all sounds, it all sounds that, the same. That's like Teen Wolf, right? Well, no, there was, there was actually a show. There was actually a show called Man Wolf or something like that. When, it's when, a very similar premise, I think, to this one because he like turns into a werewolf, you know, like kind of against his will. So I think yeah. it's a similar uh, setup. Man Wolf. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> We're really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. We really are, just, man, really. Can they just get the Fantastic Four ready or something? Oh, like, my God. Well, well, I get around to that. That's quite a, that's still a ways off. 
and uh and then we have uh the the black panther wakanda forever movie which i'm yep. very curious about obviously we lost black panther so i'm not sure how they're going to square the circle here i'm actually more interested in there's going to be a wakanda forever. Uh, tv yeah. series uh, and i think that's going to be interesting oh. because there's such a dense the technology and everything they introduced there in that movie is very interesting setup i just once again i'm not sure how they're going to pull this off with this movie you know the the lead character theoretically is missing unfortunately of course but then uh, we wrap things up finally with the Guardians Galaxy Holiday Special, which I think is, uh, you know, a you know a spoof a spoof of the old Star Wars holiday. All special. Star Wars again, yes. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you, that's so funny that you said that. Right? <laughs> right? Wasn't it like? Wasn't like there there were like a, a like a bunch of Wookies in that? And uh, oh my God, you have to track this down. Like, you can only yeah, see there's it like on a YouTube. baby baby Chewbacca's yes, and stuff. You, you must watch this. It's insane. oh, you never you yeah. never saw it, dude. I think when I was a kid, I did. I, oh I kind of remember it though. It's I, so bad, and they have Harrison Ford in it. They actually have Harrison. They're Ford. all in there. They're all in there. It's uh, you know, it was on ABC or one yeah. of these like network shows, and I do remember watching it. I, I mean, you can find it on YouTube. Uh, yeah. And uh, it was just, it was, you know, I mean, at the time, I was probably like nine or eight or something. <laughs> I probably thought it was pretty good, actually. <laughs> Yeah, my memories of it were I actually remembered seeing it. Like yeah, it was a Wookiee, uh, was it some kind of life holiday, which, you know, oh. basically Christmas. Yes, oh, yes, yeah. you're right. It was like the Chewbacca or so the Wookiee crazy. life holiday or something like that. <laughs> and they had the, uh, the the Boba Fett cartoon. You know, and then they're too thrown. So I, it's all funny stuff. I Look, I mean, I think the MCU is trying to gear up towards some of the bigger movies now. Yep. And uh, they're trying to, uh, you know, it's, again, I, I'm glad that they came out and just said there's no culmination. They're all just intros in this stage right. four because it was very random. Um, I I really I, I think the Fantastic Four is is the is the one that has the most mystery behind. It. Like, what yeah. are they really going to do with Fantastic Four? Are are they going to use John Krasinski or did they just do that for fan service and kill them off from Earth eight one three or whatever that one is? You know, eight three eight, and that's it. You know, that was his little stint as. And again, it's uh, Reed Richards. So I, that would be interesting. The other I've heard with Johnny Storm. Who who is Johnny Storm? And do they bring back the original Johnny Storm? <laughs> who was who was Chris Evans, Evans right? <laughs> yeah, because it's an all it's another multiverse thing. So yeah. you can have Chris Evans come back. Yeah, potentially <laughs> Johnny Storm. Look, I didn't mind that original Fantastic Four. You know, with Jessica Alba, I, I didn't think it was that bad. I really didn't. I didn't think it was that bad. Probably the Doom character was the one yeah. that didn't really match with my ideal about yeah. Doom, you know. But that's that's one of the big villains. And obviously, they're going to start using Kang now. Yeah, so let um, me give you the rundown. Here's here's the rundown. Check this out. This is an insane amount of content. So the you know this multiverse saga, as they call it, begins in February 2023 with Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, which, of course, features uh, Kang for the first time officially. Right. And in May, we have the Guardians of the Galaxy vol Volume 3 yep. with all the players there. Uh, not sure how that's going to tie into the Quantum, but I'm sure they will tie it in somehow. Mm -hmm. Then the Secret Invasion series comes uh, around the same time yep. in 2023 as well. The Marvels comes in July. So now we have all three Marvels in a movie together. Mm -hmm. Sometime in the summer, Echo, who we met in the Hawkeye show, will come back with mm -hmm. her own series. Yep. Uh, also in the summer, Loki. We'll have our Loki second too. season of Loki finally. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then next November, right, right, right in time for holiday or right after uh, Halloween, I should say, we have the Blade movie with Mahershal Ali 
playing, uh, which should be very good. He's an yeah. excellent actor. Yeah. At around the same time, Ironheart. So we get the yeah. Ironheart series <laughs> as well. And then we also have an Agatha Coven yeah. of Chaos a series. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have the Daredevil Reborn series coming in 2024. So now we're already in 2024. Amazing. The next Captain America is coming in 2024 as well. The Thunderbolts, Thunderbolts. that summer. <laughs> yep, the Thunderbolts that summer. And then uh, in phase six, we would expect to see Fantastic Four. They finally come, and that's scheduled for November of 2024. And then we have another Deadpool movie. We have what else we have here? So many other things. We have Armor Wars. Armor Wars Armor is coming Wars. in 2024. Yep. We have Shang-Chi part yep. two coming yep. then. Oh, we wow. have a new Spider-Man Just... movie. Not sure if that will tie into this uh, or not. And then in 2025, we have Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, and then six months later, Avengers Secret Secret Wars, (laughs) and that's in 2025. So that is a whole lot of stuff coming in the next two years, That or three years, I'm sorry, three years, but that is a whole huge amount of content. That's just the same. Yep. Yeah, no, it is. I mean, I think the Thunderbolts will be interesting, too, because, you know, the Ross character, they can't use unless they CGI him the whole time. And he was going to be Red Hulk. So no Red Hulk. They might go with Abomination instead as a larger uh, character in that host of uh, sort of antiheroes, you know. Oh, wait. So Thunderbolt. So wait, Thunderbolt becomes Red Hulk in the comics? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I think they were probably building to that. And then when William Hurt passed away, they're going to have to get inventive again. And, you know, MCU varies anyway from the comics. So, you know, they, yeah, they could, they could get another character this lot in there. <clears throat> yeah. They can make it up. You know? So it's, yeah, it's a very aggressive schedule. I, I remember with the star Wars, they kind of released a similar timeline with pictures and everything. And, <laughs> right. and you can see how a lot of those shows have now totally going by the wayside, yep. whether actresses got fired or people lost interest, you know, yep. I mean, so, you know, you wonder how many of these will come to fruition. So I think most of them will for the fact that, I mean, they literally start shooting these movies to oh, production yeah. ahead of time. So yes. m- like most of what we would see uh, up until 2025 is currently in production right now. Like, yeah. I mean, as a matter of fact, I, I, it was funny because I was trying to put together another conversation I was thinking about having with you guys was what the, coronavirus did to the scheduling of all of the mcu products and uh and for example they were shooting yeah the uh, wandavision and captain america and uh, winter soldier and loki pretty much all at the exact same time so they were and they were originally going to come in with captain america first a more traditional kind of action then wandavision then loki so loki really came out in the same slot more or less where it would would have been but they were shooting that like in 2019 for like a you know and loki theoretically would not have come out pretty much when it did come out which is a year and a half later so this stuff is all in production like this stuff is all in production right now so uh Mm -hmm. this is you know like most of this stuff they almost are like locked in loaded they really can't make uh, a lot of changes from that schedule, which is what kind of screwed things up with the uh, with the coronavirus. Yeah. I know there's pictures on the online about Loki too. Yes, and uh, also oh, yeah? Ironheart. Yeah, there's Ironheart pictures released already too. So they're definitely, like you said, they're definitely in production halfway through that schedule. So yeah. I don't know say- anything about the Ironheart character, but is that is that uh, Tony's daughter? Is that no? It's uh, it's like a a rot. It's like an MIT student in the comics. She um. She, she steals some of Stark's technology and kind of improves it. And then, like, you know, in that comic arc, Tony Stark's still alive and sort of helps her out. Like, there's no actual relationship with Tony Stark other than, 
you know, there's this random uh, orphan girl that, you know, goes to MIT. She's super smart. And, uh, you know, well, do, it, it, it wasn't a great. Rumors on that? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> you know, the rumor is on that show, by the way. What? No. What's that? Oh. The rumor on that show is that apparently Robert Downey Jr. wants to come back to the series, but it's not, um, you know, it's, he doesn't want to do the full commitment oh, to the maybe these, an AI or something. Exactly. Cool. That she's yeah. going to inherit his, uh, you know, and she's going to, he's going to basically be the Jarvis voice for her mm-hmm. with yeah. the same sarcastic Tony Stark persona. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, so that brings him back into the MCU yeah. voice wise, anyway. So. Yeah. But in the comics, there's a lot of support from uh, Wakanda, Siri, yeah. and the Ironheart thing. So I'm sure it's, again, it's another, I don't want to bash women, but it's like two women getting together, you know, her and Siri probably be the same age. And, you know, yeah. it's, like, it's just going to be all, I don't know. I feel bad for uh, Scott Lang. He's going to be like the only guy left in the whole MCU. Him and Loki would be the only two men left. MCU. He's the guy Captain America and Deadpool and, and Deadpool and uh, and, the, and, the, and, the, and, and Shang-Chi and still Thor, there's a lot of guys. Spider-Man, they're still in there. I mean, do you think that Thor's coming back, right? In the Avengers, I'd have to imagine, right? I'm pretty sure his, Thor's coming back. I mean, I don't know what his contract his arc is done. Like. No, I don't think his arc is done. I mean, the way they left things at the end, you know, she's definitely going to come back as one of these young Avengers. So he's yeah. definitely going to be in there. Once again, I, I know these guys are burning out for making these being locked in for these contracts for so long, but I'm pretty sure that like they did for Robert Downey Jr. You let him come in and have like two or three big scenes in someone else's movie and they'll stick around. They're going to collect like a $5 million paycheck for two scenes. Like they're not going to turn yeah. that down, you know, right. if they're going to have to do it for, you know, when you think about like um, Benedict Cumberbatch, when you think about the production schedule for that, where they shoot for like six months, then they put mm-hmm. the movie together. Then they come back and they like schedule another four months. It's like, how do you even, like, he has to like basically fit a movie in between the other two movies. And then they maybe bring him in for a cameo in another movie. And maybe like in the Avengers movie, it's like, it's crazy. It's like a crazy schedule for these people. But I think you bring them, you, you come in and you do like a cameo or like when Tony Stark, literally they gave, set him up in his house, like this booth where he put his head inside of the uh, 3D scanner to be in, inside the, the suit. And he would just record in his house and make a whole Iron Man movie in his house, right? So it's like yep. that that's all you need. Like these guys can yeah. stick around as long as they accommodate them. So yeah, I mean John John Krasinski did like uh like one day or two yeah, days. Exactly. Yep. That was it. You know, and, and the suit was all CGI. It wasn't yep. even a, exactly. a material uh, you know, Mr. Fantastic Reed Richards suit. So, you know, it's interesting times for the MCU. So yeah. and uh this is at least is a nice refreshing uh series i think the she yeah yep. i agree i agree it's not so uh 100 agree with that it was it was actually just an enjoyable show to watch and sit back and relax and enjoy it hey I, you know i actually had a question for you guys so um abomination obviously is in this show yep right. um as we know right but he had that cameo scene in shang chi with yeah. wong are we gonna mm-hmm. see wong in this show like i think wong's in it yeah yes. yeah I, oh yeah. he is yeah. okay yeah. Yeah. I thought I saw a preview like he actually seeks her counsel or something almost. So I was wondering if it might have something to do between him and Strange about who's actually Sorcerer Supreme and things like that. You know, like some kind of legal battle with the, <laughs> maybe he hires her, you know, to help <laughs> on that or something. Like yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, speaking of stitching these things together, they were I was literally literally talking listening to a different podcast where they were mentioning him specifically. And it's like, you know, Benjamin Wong, they've like, I don't know if they just have him like 
because they're shooting, you know, in Atlanta on these sets collectively, that he's shooting like all these kind of stitched together scenes. He shows up in Shang-Chi. He shows up in the um, the Doctor Strange movie. He shows up in, you know, like he's in everywhere. <laughs> he shows up he's in, in everything. The uh, Spider-Man movie. Right. Yeah. So he's like, you know, he's in everything. And I think that they basically just say, hey, can you come in, like walk down the street to the other set? We need you for like a scene. We need you for a scene. And <laughs> just he's just like, all right, I'm still here. Yeah. You just use me where you need me. Just make a poor yeah, roll get... disappear. You know, so... he probably makes a million dollars for each one of those cameos. So I'm like, hey, good for you, man. <laughs> I got, I got to get a gig in this MCU somehow. <laughs> hey, anybody, exactly. You know, you, you, I, I wouldn't mind. I would have been like pizza. What was the pizza papa? I could be pizza papa. <laughs> Bruce Doctor Campbell, Strange. right? That's Bruce Campbell. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I would, I would have taken a, I, I'd take any scene. That would be great. Yeah, it's like a retirement uh, fund. Right. <laughs> I still crazy. like the uh, I still like the idea of Stan Lee being one of the watchers throwing all those. Yeah. Movies, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's still a good idea. I don't know. I like that theory. They should have went with that 100 percent. Well, it's good stuff. It's all good stuff. Uh, one more thing is that I was not planning to do the Star Wars thing. I was not going to do Andor. But now <laughs> they moved it. They moved it to the end of September. Uh. So now I'm like, well, maybe, you know, it's end of September. Maybe I'll be back in the mood to check out another I, 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 a Star Wars show. I thought the trailer was awesome. I mean, uh, I did, I've heard oh, really yeah, good. Yeah, that's going to be good, I think. Yeah. Cassie, what is his name? Uh, Cassian Andor. Yeah. yeah, Cassian Andor. That's a great yeah. character. I mean, Rogue One is probably the most, I would say, the most successful. Uh, that and uh, Mandalorian, obviously, uh, are, the, are the two most successful and probably the two best things they've put out. Everything you know, else is basically been shit. They're re-releasing Rogue One in the theaters before uh, Andor comes in. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm gonna probably go see it. <laughs> yeah. It'd be a good way to refresh everybody's memory. On that. Right, yeah. I'm still hoping that they somehow retcon and they get rid of the they put the they put the trilogy uh, the sequel trilogy into like an alternate universe. No, somehow. that's not gonna happen. They can't do that. I don't think they no, alternate universes. I, yeah, I get that. The world uh, was the world behind the doors or the world behind the world. You know the, the Star Wars yeah. Rebels things that it can happen. They did it with Ahsoka. They can they can yeah. do it again. I'm telling you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do it again. Look, I can't even not, sit through that last no, movie. See, that, that, see, now <laughs> I'm going to get into it again. I mean, two, you have two main. I figured this out. There's two main characters in Star Wars, right? So Padme basically just dies because she's sad. Okay, yeah, really yeah. strong. You know that even in Obi Wan, how he's saying how strong is is her mom was. And this, yeah. she dies because she's sad. Yep. And and then of course Luke dies because he's tired. You know, like it's like come on. Now. <laughs> You can't come up with better demises for some. They got bad. Characters. They got bad DNA. Bad genes. Bad genes. Come on, you know. Leia died. Leia died. Leia died because she was tired. Yeah. It, well, you know. Well, she died in real life too. I mean, but <laughs> yes. But, <laughs> but no, her character died the same way that Luke did. Because sure, yeah. remember, she used all of her energy to go see her son. Yes. Yeah, but then but... here's the other thing. All right. <laughs> oh no. Oh no. Well, how does Han Solo show up? Yes. In, in, in the, I mean, yes. come on. He's not like, a Jedi. What is going on here? Well, um, yeah, that's another thing. I know. And, and of all the characters, the one that hates Star Wars the most makes a cameo appearance as a Force <laughs> ghost, and he's not even a Jedi. I mean, yes. I, I saw a funny thing about Han Solo, though. It's funny. Is, um, it was Darth Vader's perspective on his future son in law, right? So you say, <laughs> who is this MF? He shows up with. <laughs> Two of the droids that I knew, one I built when I was a kid, the other one was my astromech when I was Anakin, right? Comes in to save my daughter, 
brings my son. Oh, and by the way, brings my rival Jedi to the Death Star with him. All these things. Who is this guy? Oh, on top of it all, he's the only one that can shoot me out of the sky in a new hope, right? So Han Solo is like the foil to Vader, actually, if you think about it. He's, he's the one who ruins Vader's day, room. Really. If it wasn't for Han Solo, nothing happens, right? So that's why I think Han Solo has some kind of force sensitivity. He just pulls it luck. And, you know, he's could be a Jedi himself. That's it could I mean. be. Maybe that's how he retcons this whole thing. Yeah, we need yeah. another solo movie. We need another solo movie. Exactly. Find out that he has Midichlorians. Uh, He's got Midichlorians too. I mean, the Who's thing about the prequel, the best, then, come on. yeah, <laughs> the prequel trilogy was was obviously bad, but in retrospect and in comparison to the sequel trilogy, it was like you know, now it's great. It was like the greatest movie. At least they were the trying. Three, At least they were trying. They were trying. Right? Yeah. But but you know, like some of the issues with the prequel trilogy was like that whole thing that you said. Like everything was just too interconnected. Like it, yeah. it like. Didn't he recognize R two D two at any point? Like, like, hey, wait a minute, that's R two. Oh shit, that's C three PO. I built him when I was oh, a slave on the, Tatooine. That's the idea in the scene in an Empire Strikes Back, where yeah. that goes to fire and he pushes down his his blaster because he's going to fire at Chewie because C three PO is on his backpack at that point. So some people say he does that on purpose because he doesn't want him to destroy C three PO in that scene. That's that's a retcon on that. I just oh, want I just want to warn you guys, by the way, that the Zoom oh, is gonna end, end, <laughs> it's gonna end in a minute and a half. And I just want to <laughs> I just want to let you know that it's not me hanging up on you guys during your Star Wars. It's probably appropriate. That's it's good. It's a Star Wars safety valve. <laughs> I don't, I don't right, think Victor. Go. I don't think Victor and I have had one podcast where I didn't. I didn't go into about Star Wars. <laughs> bitch about Star Wars. I need, you know what? Maybe, maybe the week before, maybe the week before Andor comes on, I'll just have one episode where you guys just get to get this all out, vent your spleen, <laughs> and hopefully, to like exercise the rest of these episodes. I'm no, telling you though, seance. the best, the be best thing is exorcism. Is seance. Just get it all out, man. I'm Jeez. telling you, the best, the best stuff I've ever watched on this is the Red Letter Media stuff with yes, uh, yes. Mr. Plinkett. <laughs> The Plink, Mr. Plinkett's reviews, hilarious, oh, wow. absolutely just, hilarious. I, I think that the, the whole series never recovered from that ever. Nope. Oh. All right, all right, boys, all right, guys. All right, thanks Sounds good. for the conversation. We will. Talk all right, thanks. Soon. All right, push me with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, have a good one, guys. Right, have a good weekend. See you. All right, you too. Bye bye. The answer to a higher power. Our universe is on the edge of a precipice. I am a lawyer. We do things by the book. Book of Ashanti. No, the book of American uh, laws. Mm.